Today's episode, I'm talking to Tori Robinson, who lives in the UK. Now, I met her in 2017 on social media, where I've probably met the majority of other people with epilepsy. And I still stand by it. Social media is one of the greatest things that's happened to the advocacy community because it does allow us to connect to other people with epilepsy. Back when I was re-diagnosed in 2011, I didn't know anybody. Um, and it was very isolating. So the fact that I could actually talk to and interview Tori, who lives in a different country, is when you think about it, is pretty incredible. So Tori has a foundation called Epilepsy Sparks, and her mission is to bridge the gap between the average person, patients with epilepsy, and then the science community. And she'll get into it more this episode, but. I wanted to give a formal introduction because she's just an amazing human and I am so grateful that we're connected. If you look in the show notes, you can see where to find her and let me know what you think once you listen to this episode. Thanks, guys. Hi, Tori. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right. So today we have Tori, and I met Tori probably like about how I've met every other advocate in the community through social media, and which is really great because Tori lives in London, the UK. The UK. Mm-hmm. In the UK, yeah. So we have a little bit of a time difference going on, but that's okay. And I, I was actually just telling Tori that I didn't realize her advocacy work didn't be, began in 2017. It feels like we've known each other for way longer than that. So I want, I'm excited for you guys to meet her as well. So Tori, can you just share a little bit about yourself? Um, how old were you when you had your first seizure? And then what type of epilepsy do you have? Yep. So, well, I'm now the big four so I'm 40 years old now, um, but I was diagnosed with epilepsy when I was 10. Uh, I know that I had epilepsy prior to that because I remember having seizures when I was about six, but nobody noticed until I was 10. Um, And my epilepsy uh, basically got worse the older I got. So we know that loads of kids grow out of it, which is great. Unfortunately, I didn't. And yeah, my brain was just like going for it. Um, And things were getting worse. Um, My seizures were getting more frequent. Um, So I started off having absences and focal um, partial awareness seizures. And then it was like, yeah, I just went through to tonic-clonics, which would always go into secondary generalized seizures. Um, I remember almost walking into my classroom um, half naked due to a focal seizure. Luckily, I didn't. I came out of it beforehand. Um, I remember skiing in Switzerland. It was really, oh, I was having such a great time. Then I'm like, oh no. And then I woke up in the snow. It was really like, really comfy actually, the snow, snow in Switzerland, but everyone else was freaking out. And I didn't speak French. So I was like, oh God, sorry. But then I got up and I skied for the rest of the day and it was fun. You know, this is how different seizures and epilepsies can be, right? Right. And then so yeah, things just got worse and worse. And I started having clusters of tonic-clonic seizures. Um, uh, I've fallen on a railway line before. Um, I've, what else? What was that? Oh, there was, um, there was another good one. Oh yeah, when I was um, 
little I remember I, f I fell off my bike into the middle of the road I say little I think I was about 14 and nearly got run over um and anyway so I ended up moving halfway across the world because of my epilepsy so I'd moved to Australia from the UK and I moved back because things had got so bad I just I was having all these seizures I was being rushed to hospital unnecessarily probably but you know what it's like um and so I came I came back and I registered uh, at Queen's Square Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery. Um, it's the first um, neurosurgical hospital um, in the world, actually. Anyway, and my neurologist was like, yeah, your life expectancy isn't great. <laughs> and I love this guy. Like, he knew that he could talk to me like that. I'm very blunt and he is very blunt, so, um, or could be with me. And I just like laughed and said, yeah, you know, if I'm suitable for the surgery, which he just suggested, great because I knew I was going to die anyway so like just right do it. now when you were having those multiple seizures were you mm. on medication yes so I've been doped up since I was 10 yeah um multiple different medications um I can't even remember them all partially to do with the medications themselves affecting your memory but also just there have been that many and none of them were effective and how old were you when the idea of surgery came up? I was 32. So basically, okay. I went for more than two decades without surgery being suggested. Right. And I feel like that's really important. Right. I feel like that's really important to point out because there's several people in the community who think surgery is such a, you know, easy option. But really, it's not. It's not easy. I mean... It, to me, it was a very easy decision to make, and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, but the thing is also, it's really different for everybody. So I have people asking me a lot, also, oh, what was it like for you thinking that it's going to be the same for them? But it re like your brain is so complex. So I had surgery on my left temporal lobe. Um, I had a resection, still a bit of dodgy tissue left because they couldn't take it all out because then they would have messed up my brain even further um but some people can have the whole shebang out some people are going to have surgery on their frontal lobe some will have it you know on even maybe their occipital lobe I don't know it's all very very different and people use different sides of their brains for different things for instance your left temporal lobe is normally or most regularly used as the musical side and so it was expected that I wouldn't be that great at the piano afterwards I'm now better than I was before oh that's great not as a result of surgery but more practicing so I didn't lose it right so maybe I was using the right hand side all my life because I had scar tissue on the left who knows so it's very different for everybody um but I don't know about you I also find people are very scared of surgery they're like, like I'm just not doing it because nobody's touching my brain do you find that I honestly, I haven't talked to a lot of people who have been through it, um, but from what I do see, yeah, it is a scary option because they, you know, they might see what Grey's Anatomy shows on TV and they don't understand it. Um, I do have a girlfriend who had cancer in her brain and had brain surgery. And so her story, I know is completely different than epilepsy, but her story has kind of inspired me to talk about it more because to make it less scary I suppose oh, now, now for me 
my seizures are so few and far between, especially now that surgery was never, never mm. in my radar. Mm. Um, and so um, that's why I'm excited for you to share a little bit more on that. So you were in your thirties when you had. Yep. So it was about seven years ago. I had it now. Yeah. And how was um, your, how was that process of recovery after? Oh man, <laughs> it was not easy. <laughs> and this was all before you started advocating. Yeah. Uh, do you know what is really bad? And it's one of the reasons I started advocating. I didn't even know about epilepsy charities. I didn't know about mental health charities. I didn't know about epilepsy charities. So I'd grown up my whole life not having support and not knowing anybody else or not consciously knowing anybody else that experienced it. And, and I just like, this is ridiculous. What on earth? And why are people, and I'd always been open about my epilepsy because my thought is like, if you've got a problem with it, well, then you're a bit of a rude words and I don't wish to liaise with you anyway and that's weak because I do think it's weak if people are choosing to discriminate just because they are not knowledgeable about something that's silly so but then I thought when I started meeting um, other people affected by epilepsy through and a brilliant charity over here called Epilepsy Action and I discovered that a lot of people weren't as confident about it as I was and there were reasons for that distinct reasons for that so I thought because I love science, I love it. And because I've grown up like reading about science and epilepsy and you know, anything neurological or to do with human anatomy, I thought maybe I can help give those people a voice, especially those, um, this is an awful stereotype, but especially those with um, learning disabilities too, because so many of us with epilepsy do have learning disabilities. Um, I'm a, do you know what, random fact I found out recently, um, it was a neuropsychiatrist that I know, he wrote a paper um, and it said that despite there being such a high percentage of people with epilepsy having learning difficulties, only 2% the time in an epilepsy uh, seminar or conference taken up speaking about um, intellectual disability. That doesn't surprise me. Now, it, so it sh other it should. people need our voice. Yeah. Correct. And I, I I've more recently, I felt like I just need to do my part and lead from the front and share the stories because a lot of people do sit in that fear and mm. they're afraid to share. They're afraid to tell their workplace. They're afraid to educate simple seizure first aid. So yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Um, now, so a little bit back to your surgery you had hmm. so you had temporal you had temporal lobe epilepsy and that's why they removed a part of your left temporal lobe correct yes okay temporal lobe so, yeah. so i was really I had, lucky it was very clear that that's what the dodgy bit was yeah yeah so that that, that happened i have tle as well and i mm -hmm. have a little bit of um a little bit of brain damage there um, which, you know, your temporal lobe controls your memory. So that's a side effect. But when I was speaking with my epitologist yesterday, we did talk a little bit about the new studies coming out and the new medicines that are now um, saying that you shouldn't take when you're pregnant or, you know, want to even think about ha having children. Because I talk to a lot of women who mm. are seeing me that I have three kids. Um, mm and asking about that but it's curious but with the learning disability i would love to see research on the children of the women who have epilepsy who are taking the medicine if they're if the children 
end up having learning disabilities as well from well, having that actually, medicine. Yeah, I actually, um, last week or the week before, because um, we were talking about Epilepsy Sparks Insights, I released a podcast with a former neurologist who, guess, ready for it, has epilepsy. That's um, awesome. That's <laughs> retired. Well, it's not, but it is, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was about the sodium valproate debacle, also known as epilim, mm-hmm. um, because of the very high rate of um, abnormalities in children born to women who are taking um, valproate during pregnancy. Um, I mean, it's an amazing drug, in my opinion, as well, because if it's going to control your seizures, especially if you're a bloke and you don't want kids, or if you're a woman and you don't want children, and you know it, then, because this right. is my argument, I I don't have children. I'm not planning to uh, have any. So if that worked for me, I would totally take it. Right. But, but, you know, I'm a little bit of an anomaly. And so for most women, they're saying, dude, don't take that. Or you must be on some form of reliable contraception if you're going to be on sodium valproate. But then there's the issue, you know, for some people, that's the only drug that works. Right. So what right. if you want kids as well, then what do you do? And you have to make that choice. And mm-hmm. well, life is not fair, right? Right, exactly. And then there's, of course, we know that Depakote is not a good medicine. I have a girlfriend that takes it, and but she made the decision that she's not going to have children because Depakote works for her and she's, yeah. her quality of life is more important to her. So, and, and I respect that. Um, and then I think most recently trileptol is another medicine that they say now is not good and that is actually the medicine that I took when I was pregnant with my first because Ah. Keppra was not available in 2006 Um, so I and he was born with club foot so Ah. part of me thinks like now now that these studies are coming out and is club foot one of the the um abnormalities excuse the word but congenital abnormalities used um, associated with that drug I'm not sure I just found this I just made the connection yesterday when I was talking to Uh, my epitologist so I'm going to look into it but it'll be curious to see um the effect now at the time trileptol was the safest option but it just goes to show that 14 years down the road there's so much more advances and improvement um so you, you mentioned that you launched your podcast. And so who who typically are your guests on? Oh, well, but basically, let me tell you the purpose of it. It's okay. to bridge that gap between us lot and neurologists, the uh, people in academia and, um, and medicine, because in clinical care, because there is this ridiculous sort of hole in communication between each party. And I just think it's really old fashioned and pathetic. And um, we need, as people, well, as, you know, homo sapiens, we are allowed to know and allowed to learn things. And especially if we are affected by a certain illness or disease, we're gonna wanna learn more, right? Generally speaking, because also we should, in my opinion, because that's empowering. It enables you to be much more confident in when you're talking about your own illness or your own condition. Um, so, so far I've had three um, and um, I've had one, um, well, actually the, the former neurologist that I mentioned, um, I've had a neurophysiologist and SUDEP actually, SUDEP was the SUDEP action. And I brought SUDEP up because people are always scared to bring it up, but you're, 
I mean, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but when, when you, you know, you, you teach a, a child to cross the road and you get them to look both ways, right? And you get them to listen for sound. You said, by the way, you might still get run over, but this is how you minimize your risk. And that's the way that I look at SUDEP. I don't want to hide it from people. That's why I put actually a whole page on Epilepsy Sparks, my, my company, about it. It's like, you learn this stuff, we're, you know, we'll remind you, you might die SUDEP, but probably much lesser risk if you do these things. That's the way I look at it. Right, so, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and just a few years ago, SUDEP really got popular in the media and people started talking about it. But when I was re-diagnosed back in 2006, no one, I don't think I learned about it until close to 2013, maybe. I didn't either. Not until I was told about surgery. Nobody told me about it. Yeah. And I just think that's like really rude. <laughs> you think right. I can't hack it? Right. You know, so. Um, right. But yeah, so. Uh, but we've got some patients lined up for this podcast as well, which is great. So um, nurses, scientists, epileptologists, um, there's a whole page um, either on my website, um, toryrobinson.com or epilepsysparks.com about it so that you can check these people out in advance. Um, but yeah, it's for people who want to be sort of cool and blunt, but in a nice way, just sharing good, clean information um the latest stuff that we've got and it's for people who are open to contradiction like none of us know everything so we need to share um stuff across borders borders like we're doing now you know right. like it, borders right. can sod off they shouldn't mean anything when it comes to care and caring for other humans and bettering people's lives well i think that's great and i think it brings a totally different perspective and i think that the more people listen to it, the more they might see or understand that your neurologist or your epitologist isn't a, isn't a scary person and, and maybe it will help them have more, more of those conversations and ask more open questions and just be open to more feedback. Because, I mean, and I, I, I agree with what you said before that it's crazy that people just don't talk about it um, and I feel like with these podcasts and your, especially your website and your um, advocacy work, because I do know that you go and you have like speaking engagements to yeah. share your story. I was supposed um, to be your side of the Atlantic this year. Obviously, that didn't happen, but. Right. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. And I think having those will just, you know, with epilepsy being as common as it is, and, mm. but it's still having the stigma that it does. Um, with your work on bridging the gap will help just spread awareness, which I think is amazing. Thank you. I do hope so. It's just like with mental health, you know, and I don't want people to think that it's easy. You know, some people say, oh, how are you so confident? And I haven't always been. And I was taught to, you know what? Somebody in my family didn't believe I had epilepsy until they saw me have a seizure in my 30s because they didn't want to believe that it was true. Now, we think that doesn't happen in the Western world, but it does. And that, of course, is going to make somebody not have confidence in themselves. So, you know, having the confidence to talk about something can take time. And I think it's important that we all know that, like, we've all got our insecurities. But as is so common with epilepsy, if, if the listeners are in that, in that place, don't feel bad about yourself. It's so, so common, but there's a reason behind it. And you can make yourself 
feel more confident about who you are and not be so defined by this medical condition if you understand how things work a bit more. And actually, I put some stuff on Epilepsy Sparks website for that about the different brain lobes and what makes up a neuron, because it's actually quite exciting. And right. then it becomes that other thing rather than wholly you. And I think that that's a, like it can be a really crucial thing for us. It's something that's really interesting and you can learn about it. Well, I forget half the stuff, so I'll read it again. But um, rather than it just being your seizures and your drugs and your psychiatric comorbidities and all that type of thing. And it gives you something really positive to focus on. And, you know, from a selfish perspective, that's what I get from it. So right. I think we can all get a lot more of, of that from, from learning. I think that's great. Yeah. Okay, good, good. good. And I think that's. And I wouldn't have met you without epilepsy either. So, you that know, that's true. That is very true. We wouldn't know, and I wouldn't have been able to meet all these really amazing women and a few men. You know, men, I don't, a lot of men don't really talk about it um, from I what I've. At least, uh, at least on this side of the world. <laughs> but I have a few, I have a couple um, advocates, but. I have a theory why some of that is. Do you want to hear my theory? Yes. <laughs> well, this no, this is one of the re one of the common reasons because I spoke to a man about this, and yes, yeah, some of it is culture, but some of it is a really common. Um, and actually, I don't have any empirical evidence to back this up, so this is just me coming up from somebody that I've spoken to. Yeah. But it makes sense. Um, a lot of men experience erectile dysfunction as a result of their epilepsy. And whether it be down to, well, yes, yeah, seizures themselves or side effects of the drugs or the psychiatric issues that often come alongside it or the fear. Um, and that is just one thing. But let's face it, genitals is a huge deal for many people. So if we can just start talking about genitals, like, wouldn't be that be a great thing as well? Like, it's yeah. just another organ. Like, right. And to not have it be so taboo or, you know, and. Yeah. For sure. I didn't even, that was not even on my radar, but that, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that is culturally, that is a huge piece of their um, identity. Identity. That's the make... word I was, that's, mm. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, that does make sense. That's just one thing, but yeah. Um, anyway, cool. This has been so lovely. I feel we could natter for ages. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, thank you so much. And now I always ask my guests, um, if you were talking just like one or two things to share with a newly diagnosed person, what would that advice be? Oh, it probably depends upon their age, um, their um, intellectual capacity um, and their culture, because how you approach things depends upon those things a lot um but if I guess it was somebody sort of western culture my age um I'd probably say I'd probably just like give them a hug and say assuming they're okay with that and that you're not alone and guess what you know 600 uh, you know thousand in this country have it and a squillion million in the rest of the world and it's really interesting and here's some links you know that and just know that you're not alone um because if i had known that when i was younger i mean i knew i wasn't but i felt it right then 
that imagine the positive impact that would have had on my mental health and I think it's the same for everybody else sometimes it's just not knowing thinking that you're the weird one and, and let's face it we often feel weird enough if we have seizures <laughs> and so it's so you've got to know they've got people need to know they're not like and in, actually so one extra thing any carers or family members they need to I would want them to I'd hand them the URL for the website or something because if your family or carers don't act in a in an appropriate way shall we say or, or they freak out or they're ashamed of you you feel it even if they don't say anything so it's right. crucial mm -hmm. that they grow up here themselves and uh, play their part right yeah okay <laughs> well thank you so much tori thank you very much um i look thanks so much for listening to today's episode if you've enjoyed it please leave a review i would so appreciate it every single click means so much and i just love sharing these stories of other people in the advocacy community hope you guys enjoyed this episode have a great day